Thank you, worship team, for ushering us into the presence of God. I hope that over the last you know, couple months, of we, as we have looked at the gospel and what the gospel is and the implications of the gospel, that you've had a, a glimpse of the glory of God. And not just as we sing worship songs, but a glimpse of the glory of God and us extending His glory everywhere we go, and even a desire to do that. Last week, we uh, began a new sermon series, which is really just a continuation of where we were before called The Journey. As we really understand the gospel, it launches us on a journey that transforms our lives, and that's a continually ongoing process. But it is a journey that as our lives are transformed for the sake of the gospel being made known to all nations, transforms many, many other lives. And last week we began looking at spiritual disciplines within the context of the gospel. And we're going to continue that today. But as the the week went on, I had three points that I wanted to talk about today, but it's been whittled down to one. Uh, And we'll pretty much postpone those other two for the weeks to come. But it's important for us to keep the gospel in the context of our minds as we go through our sermon today. Because if we don't, either you'll tune me out or we get a false idea of what we're supposed to do. So remember last week we looked at the studying of God's word. Why do we study God's word? We study God's word if we keep the gospel in the forefront of our minds, in the context, we study God's word so that we can fulfill a great commission in making God's glory known to all nations. As we study God's word, we become more knowledgeable of who God is. He continues the process of our transformation to become disciple makers so we can make his glory known. If we take the context of the gospel and we remove that, then what happens with our knowledge is that we just get bigger and bigger and bigger heads and we become more Pharisees every time we open up the Word. Within the context of the gospel, it changes everything. The same thing as we uh, looked at prayer. Prayer in the context of the gospel has us praying for God's glory to be made known as people are being healed and other answers to prayer so that they will know that there is only one true God so that they are drawn closer and closer to Him. Prayer outside of the context of the gospel if we're really honest, is usually pretty selfish where we're asking God to get on our agenda and do what we want him to do for us. But prayer in the context of the gospel drops us to our knees in a different way, begging God to show up and make his glory known, answering the prayers that we are offering up to him in the way he chooses so that his glory can be magnified in ways that we couldn't even possibly dream of. And so as we come today, I want us to keep the gospel at the forefront of our minds. This last Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to, to spend time with some people here at church, and we were, we were reading some of the Great Commission passages, and we were um, just discussing the implications of that. And one that I wanted to start out with this morning is in Matthew 16, verses 14 through 16. Not necessarily one of the verses that we are, are the go-to verses for the Great Commission, but it's still the Great Commission. And so in uh, verse 14 of Matthew 16, Jesus says this, after he appeared to the 11 themselves and they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And as we began to dialogue on this verse and these verses and, and the implications of that, 
what began to arise was the tendency that we all have to read that last sentence, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And the focus becomes on something that it was never intended to be. It becomes on the persons who don't believe and that, hey, it's on them. But we have to remember the context of who Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to the 11 disciples that were left. He was speaking to them. And here's what he was really saying. If you don't go and share with them the good news about the risen Jesus, they will be condemned. And so I want us to keep the context of the gospel on our minds as we go through the context today, because here's the reality. If we don't share the gospel with them and they never have another chance to hear, they will be condemned. God has, as we've seen in weeks past, the great commission is given to us. God has no plan B. There is no other plan for him to reach the lost with the gospel except for us, for his church. And so we are the ones that need to go forth and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you'll turn over a few more pages to, to Romans. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago as well, but it's, it's great for us to make sure that we understand the gospel and the context of the gospel as we move forward this morning. Because here's the reality. As, as verse 14 of chapter 10 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we need to make sure that we keep the gospel in, in our, the context when it comes to spiritual disciplines, or we have these tendencies that are more pharisaical than they are gospel-oriented. We need to keep the gospel in the forefront of our minds you know, and the, the immensity of the mission that God has given us. And so let me see if I can put it in a little bit more perspective for us. The, the population of the world right now is approximately 7.25 billion people. That's the population of the world as we know right now, and it's, as you know, it's ever-increasing. Uh, of that, there's approximately 4.18 billion people who do not know Jesus. They're unreached. And when we, our definition of unreached people uh, are those where there's less than 2% evangelical Christians. We would say they're unreached. That's kind of the current definition that we're using in, in, Baptist, uh, in the Baptist world. So more, more than half of the world's population does not know Christ. And that, that's of the un, unreached people groups. Now, let me just make this a little bit more clear. These, this is the number of the people that have less than 2% evangelical Christians. We're not counting all those in the United States or North America, South America, and all the other continents that have to. We're not even counting those in here. And so this number is even greater that those, if they don't hear, will be condemned and are their way to hell. But of this number, close to 1 billion, not quite, but almost 1 billion people unreached people groups, there isn't even a plan right now to take the gospel to. And so I just want you to absorb the gospel and the, the need for us to be taking the gospel to all the nations, that when we put numbers to it, it kind of changes our perspective uh, more than just slightly. You know, and so as we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
There's many people that say something along these lines. Hey, I just need to live my testimony out in front of them. Well, that's a good start. But it's not going to win somebody to Christ. Eventually, we've got to take them to the words of God. We've got to take them, whether you use the Romans road or another portions of Scripture, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Living it in front of them is not going to save them. Doing acts of kindness to show the love of Christ is not going to save them. Those things will hopefully open up doors for you then to be able to share the gospel. But if you never open up the word of God, they're never going to hear and so the immensity of what God has put, you know, given to us as his mission. There is no plan B. We are it. And so I want to encourage us to, as we move forward today to keep the gospel in the backgrounds of our mind. But if the gospel is going to go forth, it's going to be costly. You know, disciple making is costly. Disciple making is, is kind of messy. Disciple making will cost our time. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But disciple making is costly also in the area of finances. And so here's the only point I have today. That I want you to prayerfully consider sacrificing your treasures for the sake of the gospel. Now I know where some of you have already gone, and I can even see it from your body language, is that he's going to talk about money. Guess what? I'm going to talk about money. You know, but just as we talked about prayer and reading God's word last week, I want to talk about it in the context of the gospel going forth. And I want to talk about it in, you know, in regards to what we just saw in those numbers of people you know, and keeping it all in mind. You know, most of, the, most of the time, pastors get a bad rap. Well, all I do is talk about money. Well, this is only the second time in two years that I've been here that I've talked about money. But you might be surprised to know that Jesus talked about finances more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Eleven of the 39 parables were about what? Finances. It's rather interesting, but most people complain and stuff. In fact, it was like the one guy that brought his family to church, and after they left uh, and they got in the car, he started complaining. He started complaining about, hey, the, the music was too loud, the pastor talked too long, it was too hot in there. And then his son in the back seat says, well, Dad, you have to admit, for one dollar, it was a pretty good show. <laughs> so that might sink in for you a little bit later. Uh, but you know what? Finances really show where our heart is, doesn't it? But when you think about it, putting money in the offering plate just for the sake of keeping these lights on, eh, not, what's the point? Putting money in offering plates so that we can build more buildings for ourselves to occupy and to have holy huddles. What's the point? However, giving for the sake of the Great Commission, that's a totally different story. You know, and so for us as a church, as we move forward, we are going to keep the Great Commission at the forefront of our minds because everything builds upon that. We need to train people and educate them from God's Word so that they can become disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, not just here in Williamsburg, but of all nations. And we're thankful for those like the Scots who are saying we're willing to go wherever God calls us to go. To a, there's not even one believer where they're going. But Jesus talked about money an awful lot. In fact, if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, I think one of the reasons he's talking about money because he knew that the, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And through its craving, some have even wandered away from the faith and then pierced themselves with many pangs, many desires for the things of this world. That you know, 
I don't know how many wealthy people that you guys really know, but I don't know very many wealthy people who are happy. Most of them are miserable. And the reason is because so many put their trust in the things that the world is going to get to, to fill a void that things of the world will never fill. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. And Jesus said this, Don't lay up for yourselves your treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and thieves will even break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves can steal. Then he says this, For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And it's interesting that if you, you follow the money, you'll see where people's hearts are. But I... I think you guys have figured out now that as I read God's word, I ask lots of questions. Have you ever considered what the treasures in heaven that he's referring to here might be? I think our minds naturally gravitate towards like the crowns that God will give us as we get there. And, but but may I suggest that that may not be at all what God is talking about? In fact, what can you take to heaven with you? It's not nothing. The souls of men, Right? As we share the good news of Jesus Christ, the only thing that gets to go with us is other people as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we've heard a testimony this morning, God says in his word in Revelations that eventually all tribes, all tongues, and all nations are going to come to him. And so going to the Scots, going to a place where there is nobody, they're claiming God's word that, hey, whether it's through us or somebody else later, somebody is coming to Christ from this people group because God's word says so. But first, in order for it to take place, somebody's got to go and share. You know, we need to think through what the treasures in heaven are. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus also says, you know what? Hey, no servant can serve two masters, for either they're going to love the one or hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, remember, he's talking about this in the context of finances. You can't serve. Here's Jesus' word. These are mine. You can't serve God and money. He says this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. This is what Jesus said to them. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. These were the words of Jesus. If we keep our treasures in the context of the gospel, I believe it changes our perspective. I said this last, a few weeks ago, that any church that is comfortable with staying the size it is, is comfortable with people going to hell. Remember that? Because here's the reality. If we're comfortable with the size we are, then we are not sharing the gospel. If we're comfortable with the size we are, we don't want to grow. And that means that the conclusion of that is we're comfortable with people going to hell. And we're not doing anything about it. Let me add another statement to this. Any person who chooses not to give a tithe, likewise, is comfortable with people going to hell. The mission of the church is to multiply disciples with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission. It is not to have a holy huddle. It's not to have Sunday school classes and fellowships where we get together and we just feel good about ourselves. It is to come together, according to Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
That is the mission of the church, is to make and multiply disciples, as our mission statement says, with a life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if we are a church that is doing that, and, and any one of us, myself included, is not willing to give a tithe, then what we're really saying is, well, I'm okay with people going to hell. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, he was talking about the church there. And he says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace that God has given among the church of Macedonia. For in, in, in their severe affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of gener generosity on their part. And so here they were. They, they were in the midst of... Uh, extreme poverty themselves, you know, but then they, this is what Paul says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, this is what Paul says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, specifically referring to Jerusalem, and, and this, not as we expected, but they gave of themselves, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So Paul is talking about the willingness to give cheerfully you know, that Jesus talks about that we need to give cheerfully. Paul later in 2 Corinthians 9, he says this. He said, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly, well, guess what? You'll reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound. That you may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God will bless us according to the abundance of which we give. If we give sparingly, God's blessings will be sparingly. If we give generous, generously, God's blessings will be that way as well. Now, once again, giving outside the context of the gospel, what's the point? However, giving for the gospel to be made known to all nations and then seeing the fruit of that with our generosity as God blesses back is awesome. Let me encourage you with what has taken place in this last year because it's pretty exciting. Uh, two years ago in, in, in 2014, we took in about 600, $632,000. $632, we've seen an increase this year to $730,000. That is awesome as people have given. You know, we've seen an increase in those who are giving, uh, and so it's, it's exciting to see that this body, and as we saw earlier this morning, 58,000 to Lottie Moon, that is awesome stuff that you guys have a heart to give to God's glory. You know, as, as we looked at, at the numbers, and by the way, I don't look at who gives what, and I never will, although I do ask for statistics from time to time. 
as we looked at the statistics, the, the average gift over the year has come down slightly. So the number of givers has gone up, but what they're given has come down just slightly from 3176 to 3042. Here's what I really want to, I want to spend time on. From our estimates of what we would are guesstimating the, the average tithe would be, if every giving unit that is currently given would give a tithe, here's what it would be for one year. $1.68 million to our general fund. Now, I want that to sink in for a second because when I think about making God's glory known to all the nations and we have that much money rolling in here every year, what could we do with that? How many more missionaries could we support? How many more people could we send on short-term missions trips that we're funding all of? How many different leaders could we see raised up and going to seminary so that they're becoming pastors? How many more people could we serve in this community that need God desperately? What could we do? It doesn't take much to look around here, even on a snowy day where our numbers are down, and to see that not a whole lot of space left. And we all know that about eight years ago, there was a vote that came to this body of believers to go or to stay. Do you realize that if we would have chosen to go eight years ago, that we would already have a building that was built to house the growth that we anticipate? We'd already be in it, and most of it would be paid off by now, but we chose to stay. Remember what I said earlier? Any church comfortable with staying the size that they are is comfortable with people going to hell. I'm not comfortable with that. But I want you also to realize If we would give a tithe, we could almost instantaneously write what I believe, according to God's word, was a wrong decision. And we could be part of making God's glory known in this city, in this state, in this country, and all around the world. If you just look around Williamsburg, as compared with other parts of this state, there aren't many gospel-preaching conservative churches in this town. outside the context of the gospel. Why give? But when you look at 4.18 billion people in this world, the large majority of who do not know Jesus, that's why we should give. That's why we need to be a church that's multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be giving, not so that we can become this big church. I don't care about becoming a big church, but what I do care about is all those people that are going to go to hell if we don't do what God has called us to do in his word. If we don't come together and edify one another and fellowship together all for the sake of the gospel being spread in this city and in this state and around the world. 
That's God's mission. That's my passion to see God's glory being preached to the lost. I am not comfortable with being a part of a body. And I'm not in this, you guys have a heart for giving, but I'm just not comfortable being part of a church that could care less about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't think you are either. Amen. So I'm asking that you would prayerfully, before God Almighty, make a commitment not to give 10% of what's yours to God. He's allowing you to keep up to 90% of what's already His. But are we willing, for the sake of making God's glory known to the nations, to give what He calls us to give? Through his word. About the best way to conclude our service was to take the offering. So I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come forward. And as they pass the plate, I know y'all may not have been prepared for this sermon coming today, and I didn't want to tell you because you might not have shown up. <laughs> but giving in the context of the gospel is a great thing. So as these offering plates go by, I want you to understand this, that what we are doing right now is just as much an act of worship as the songs we sing. It's just as much of active worship as looking at God's word so that God's glory can be made known to all the nations. As the offering plates come by, uh, feel free to stand up and, and worship God through song. Remember that the the pastor's lunch is immediately following this service. And if God is calling you to be a member of this church, this is the time where we would love for you to come and share your testimony with our counselors and, 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 and we invite you to consider being a member of this church. But would you just bow with me as we just ask God to bless what we're about to do? Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you call me to be part of this body of believers. Lord, that they have a heart to give sacrificially so that your glory can be made known. But God, so often in the American church that we kind of forget the whole purpose of why tithe. And God, I thank you for your word to, for, that we have as a reset button. Lord, the whole mission of this church, the whole mission of every church is to make your glory known to all the nations. And so God, I pray that right now, that as an act of worship as we give to you what's already yours. God, that you would take these monies. God, just as you did with the loaves of fish and fishes, that you would multiply it so that your glory could be made known to all those that we come into contact with that don't know. God, we thank you and praise you for who you are, and we offer up these sacrificial gifts to say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.